It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B, and I'm joined by your host, CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor and Colts beat writer, George Brimmer. This week, we look ahead to the Monday night football game against the Titans, hear from legendary quarterback Peyton Manning, and answer your burning Colts questions. But first, let's look back at the Colts' second win of the season. The Colts had a 23-9 lead over the 49ers in the fourth quarter, but ended up going into overtime, where future Hall of Famer Adam Vinatieri knocked through the game winner. He's literally getting better with age, isn't he, George? Yeah, absolutely. You look back in his age 40 season in 2013, and since that time, Vinatieri's hit 20 of 25 field goals from 50 yards or more. And there's a lot of remarkable numbers and a lot of remarkable things you can say about this man now, you know, through his 22-year career in the NFL. But that one's pretty mind-boggling when, when you think about it. 20 of 25 from 50 yards or longer uh, over the age of 40. And there's, there's no slowing down. I, I know there was a little bit of, of a hiccup during the preseason. Some people started to get a little worried. He missed a couple of kicks in week one against Los Angeles. But you got to remember, and we talked about it at the time, they got a whole new snapper and Luke Rhodes. They got a whole new holder and Rigoberto Sanchez. It's a lot of adjustment, especially when there, there was no real getting to know you period during the preseason. Those, those positions both were, were competitions. It was late. It took a little while to get things together, but you saw on Sunday again that that field goal of the game winner was his third of the day. It was his second 50-yarder of the day, which is only the third time in all those years that he's been kicking. Only the third time he's kicked two 50-yarders in the same game. So, uh, you know, Adam Vinatieri, we've talked about it many times before. I don't know if we've ever said it on the air, but uh, when you look at the 53-man roster, he's the last guy you're worried about any given season. But the Colts wouldn't have even needed Adam to make that kick if they'd been able to hold a 14-point fourth-quarter lead. What went wrong in that fourth quarter? Unfortunately, some very familiar problems. It starts with the coverage of of the inside linebackers. That's been a struggle all year. I think Pro Football Focus has numbers somewhere along the lines of they've been targeted 43 times, uh, 37 catches allowed, over 400 yards, three touchdowns, almost 200 yards after the catch. That's not a problem just this season. It's something that's been a problem around here for the last few years. Uh, they tried to address it in the offseason. It hasn't really shown up yet on the field. We'll see if they can do something schematically to try to try to help that area out. The middle of the defense in general, really, Brian Hoyer picked them apart. And that was pretty similar to what he was able to do last year when he was with the Bears. And that game nearly went to overtime. The Colts won it with a fourth-quarter drive from Andrew Luck. Uh, but in both cases, they gave Hoyer way too much time to throw the ball, and he was able to get rid of it quickly, throw a lot of short routes, a lot of slants, uh, just getting the ball over the middle, getting gains, moving the chains. That's something they've got to look at going forward. But I think the bigger issue, and the one that probably go on a little bit of a rant here today, but it's mind-boggling because you can really go back to 2012, and, and you see it all the time. When the Colts get a two-score lead in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter, Chuck Pagano becomes very, very conservative on defense. They, the pass rush is never feared, really. We know that. It's one of the areas of the team that, that struggled uh, really the last couple years. But 
when they get that two score lead, they only rush four. They even pull back on 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 how much of the pass rush they've done to that point. It gets even less of, of an issue. And they'll play zone defense behind it, which there's holes in every zone. That's one of the things that's just common around the league. And so when you're not getting to the quarterback and you're playing a defense where he knows there's going to be holes in certain areas because all experienced quarterbacks know how to read a zone, know where to throw it, you're going to allow them to move the football. And the 49ers, to me, the most egregious example of this because up to that point they had nine points in the game but you're talking about a team that hadn't scored a touchdown on a Sunday all season long that hadn't scored a touchdown period in seven quarters going into that that fourth quarter. And in the last eight minutes, the Colts give up two touchdowns to him to tie the game. And a lot of it has to do with rush four, play a zone behind it. I don't get that. I I understand you can question strategy all the time. When something doesn't work, you always go back. There's a lot of questions about the way Pagano handled the end of the game, not calling a timeout at one point, declining a penalty that would have had a 10-second clock runoff at another point. Those two things contradict each other. It's hard to really understand why you would decline a 10-second runoff to save time at one period, but then not call the timeout as San Francisco's purposely running out time before the fourth down. You know, There's a lot of things to nitpick, but the one to me is – that decision, again, to rush for and play zone. It's the third time you've seen it happen this year. It happened against Arizona. They lost the game. It happened against Cleveland. They nearly lost the game. You saw it last year going back to the season opener against Detroit. How many times are you going to do the same thing and expect a different result? To me, it's – frankly, it's ridiculous that they keep doing the same thing every time they get these two-score leads – Go back to the Houston game last year. They blew a 14-point fourth-quarter lead, lost in overtime. That probably cost them a playoff spot. At some point, change your strategy. I know that this is the safe, quote-unquote, thing to do. It's the buy-the-book thing to do. It's the Chuck Pagano died-in-the-wool thing to do. But it's obviously not working. They need to, to mix something up. Is it the Chris Ballard thing to do? That's a good question. And it would be really interesting to, to be a fly on the wall there and, and find out what Chris Ballard uh, really thinks of that strategy late in the game. I tend to think he's more of an aggressive guy just from by nature, so it would be interesting to see. Obviously, that's not a question he's he's ever going to answer publicly, uh, but it's it's a frustrating element. And I know that, you know a lot of people right now are not happy with this coaching staff for a lot of reasons. Is to me, this is one they've already given away one game this year doing that, and two others they nearly did. I mean, the Browns end up losing by a field goal, and they go to overtime to beat the 49ers by a field goal. You know, you look at the three home games. They've had a 10-point fourth-quarter lead. They've had a 14-point fourth-quarter lead twice. They won two of the games by three, and they lost one by three. This isn't rocket science that we're dealing with here. Switch it up. Play the way you did the whole game up to that point. It was working. Don't pull off the dogs and allow teams back into the game. Well, one bright spot coming out of that game, I think, was the continued maturation of Jacoby Brissett. Um, he really has to be looking over his shoulder, though, doesn't he? Uh, with Andrew Luck sitting there, we don't know exactly when he's going to be back, but it, it's imminent. It's really interesting situation that Brissett finds himself in now. It's easy to forget that he's a 23-year-old guy in just his second season because he's done some things and he's grown so quickly. Uh, and there's a lot of excitement around him with good reason. I mean, the the throw that he made on the run to T.Y. Hilton, I think it was for a 64-yarder during that game Sunday, uh, 
you're not going to see a better throw than that in the NFL. That's a that's an outstanding play made by this young man. He's brought a lot of confidence. He's brought a lot of enthusiasm. He makes his mistakes. There's no doubt. He threw an interception in overtime at the goal line. He was the first to admit he shouldn't have made that throw. It was just a bad play. He missed Dante Moncrief earlier than that in the fourth quarter. On Moncrief's open, if he gets him the ball, they're, they're still going. The 49ers probably don't have enough time to go and tie the game. He short-hopped it. Or it was Kamar Aiken. Sorry, not Moncrief. Uh, short-hops the throw. No pressure, no reason to do that. Just a bad throw. It happens. He's a young guy. You're going to see that. Most of these young guys, though, they have the whole season ahead of them, and, and they're growing, and they're able to do that in stages, and you can see that. We've seen that process with him over the last four weeks, but now he enters a point where starting with Monday night's game against Tennessee, any point from that point on, this could be his last start with the Colts, and that's what we know. I, I don't think there's a great chance that Andrew Luck starts the game on the 22nd home against Jacksonville. But that, to me, is the first time when you really start to wonder. A lot depends on how this week goes in practice for him, what they want to do next week. But that game against Jacksonville, the road games the following two weeks against Cincinnati and Houston, odds are somewhere in that three-week stretch we're going to see the debut of Andrew Luck this season. And obviously when that happens, Jacoby Brissett is done. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. Every step of the way so far, he's been so professional and so beyond his years and and how he's handled things going up to Seattle having a great start up there and one of the most hostile environments you're going to find in the NFL Uh, I don't think it's going to bother him a lot mentally but it's a really unique situation most young quarterbacks don't find themselves in this place you're either a backup and you're growing or you're the starter and it's your job and uh, he's in a really interesting spot now where the clock is ticking and every week could be the last week for Jacoby Brissett so It'll be interesting. I wonder, too, if he'll get more aggressive. You know, maybe he'll feel like, hey, I've got less to lose now. Who knows how much time I've got? Let's go and make plays. He turned a lot of broken plays into big gains on Sunday, and it really helped that offense. Well, let's shift gears from the quarterbacks of now to the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, as far as most people are concerned. Up next, inside the locker room goes to the steps of Lucas Oil Stadium for a little FaceTime with number 18. Peyton Manning. It's time to go inside the locker room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. This one is really a fun one to get to bring to you guys. Obviously, it's not a one-on-one moment, but this is a conversation that Peyton Manning had with the media shortly after the ceremony took place uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium on, on Saturday, and the statue was unveiled. And obviously, a big day, a lot of emotion, a lot of fun. And at the end. I kind of slipped in an Andrew Luck question, so be ready for that here at the end of the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, certainly emotional, certainly a moment I'll never forget. You have not seen this I had not seen uh, before. I, I think that was, I uh, wanted to kind of see it for the first time and uh, uh, just kind of obviously walked around and sort of took it in. And I think it's so appropriate that, that Ryan uh, is, a, is an Indianapolis guy. This is an Indianapolis event. All the people here, or Indiana uh, people, people that have been a part of my football life, people that have been great supporters. And so having Ryan uh, do it uh, certainly makes it appropriate. What do you think of it? What's that? What oh, do you I, think? I, I mean, I think it's it's uh, it's pretty incredible. It, it looks, it, it does look like, man, I mean, I was always on my toes throwing. And uh, uh, so, I mean, he's got the knee brace built in there. He's got the sweatband. I, I don't know. It's really hard to describe. So. 
uh, still kind of sort of taking it all in. Yeah, hard to hard to really uh, express uh, how, how grateful I am for, for like, the fan support of my entire career here. Uh, they were a part of this journey. They were right there with us through the through the good times, through, 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 through the tough times. They were always there, and it was just a great place to play football. And uh, I know I speak for Jeff and Reggie and all the guys. The fans are what made it so special. It was such a great place to play in this stadium in the old RCA dome. Fans here wore more jerseys than any other stadium we ever went into, 88s and 32s, and uh, it, it was just so special to, to have played here before. Hey, yeah, I mean, that's that's still the best part of it for me, is, is seeing people that were just part of this journey. And obviously we had the, had the great reunion last year, but, uh, you know, to have Marshall Falk, who was right next to me every uh Every uh, game in the shotgun as a rookie, you know, I was throwing a lot of interceptions and my head was swimming and Marshall kind of kept me calm and and, um, and um, just, uh, like I said, the list goes on and on of, of all those guys that were introduced and there's some more that'll be there tomorrow. I know Marvin and Edgerman are going to be in for the game tomorrow, so uh, it, it means a great deal of those guys. Hey, you heard what I mean, I mean, Dave said it, it was it was just such a group of people that sort of transformed this town into a football town. I mean, Jim Irsay for putting all the pieces together, and Bill Polian being the architect. But uh, look, uh, there's, there's no doubt this was always a great sports town. It's just football was maybe at the time was a little lower on the priority list, and uh, uh, you know, Bill Polian put together a team that gave the fans something you know, to cheer about and support us. But uh, obviously, great having Dave here. You know. Uh, Indianapolis guy, always uh, enjoyed being on his show. He invited me to be on his last show, so for him to be here and take time uh, certainly means a lot and certainly fitting for this Indianapolis, Indiana event. What does it like to walk out there tomorrow? Yeah, hard. Once again, hard, hard to, hard to probably say beforehand. But uh, as uh, you know, half times in the NFL. You're sort of on the clock. They're going to kind of move you. So the best advice I got was to sort of try to capture it and soak it in. You know, you don't get to do something like this again, and you don't get to be out there on the field when you don't play anymore. So to be out there uh, with some teammates and with Jim and uh, amongst the great fans, where I had just have so many great memories of that field. And you know whether it's Lucas Oil Stadium or the old RCA Dome, it, it always kind of felt the same from the sight lines. And so I, I, I know I'll definitely reflect on some some good memories there. And uh, looking forward to being there um, amongst the fans and some great teammates. Any advice for Andrew Luck as he tries to come back to the field? I texted Andrew um, the other day when I was coming in. He texted me right back, and uh, well, I'm pulling for him. And. Uh, uh, you know, pulling for him to get healthy like everybody is, and uh, hopefully we'll see him out there real soon. It's an honor to have Peyton on horseshoes and hand grenades, even if it couldn't actually be one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, but what an exciting weekend that was to see the statue unveiled, to hear his peers and former teammates and coaches fet him on the stage, uh, to see David Letterman come back just to celebrate Peyton Manning, and not just what he did on the football field, which I think is you know just even secondary to what Peyton accomplished in Indianapolis and in Indiana. We've talked about it a lot. Peyton made a basketball state a football state. He completely changed the way Hoosiers see football. So his big weekend continued on Sunday with the addition of his name to the Colts Ring of Honor. 
and with the retirement of his number. One thing I really like about what they've done with the Ring of Honor, right now Manning stands alone in the south end zone. He's the only name back there. And there's a lot of thought that when they start adding you know, next year with the next name, that it may go along the other sideline. So it may be a while while Peyton Manning's alone out there in the south end zone. And, and that seems perfect. It seems absolutely fitting that that's the way this guy should be honored because he is one of a kind, not just in this franchise's history, but in the NFL history. I mean, you talk about people and their impact on a city. You can talk and argue back and forth, but it's at least possible the Colts aren't even in Indianapolis anymore if not for Peyton Manning, the career that he had here. There's no debate. Lucas Oil Stadium isn't standing out there uh, without Peyton Manning. Jim Irsay even admitted that during the ceremony on, on Saturday uh, and, and I think to me, one of the things I've always liked best about Manning and one of the reasons why he's such an easy guy to kind of root for and and why so many people feel so connected to him, he went out to the fans on Saturday. You know, the media people trying to kind of usher him on to the next event because there were a lot of things going on this weekend, obviously, with him in town. And he said, wait a minute, I have to go and say hi to the fans. He went down, he signed autographs for probably 20, 30 minutes, uh, everybody around that, that that he could find. And then on Sunday... He up and shows up. There's no announcement. There was no plan. He just goes back out to the statue before the game. There's thousands of Colts fans out there who were just going to see the stadium who all of a sudden see Peyton Manning signing more autographs, taking selfies with the statue. Uh, He's a man of the people. He's always been a man of the people. And I think anytime he's around, there's a different energy in the building. There's a different excitement around the franchise. And I have no doubt that played into Sunday's game in, in some small way. Well, we've got a couple other sound bites to share with you this week on Inside the Locker Room. Let's hear first from Adam Vinatieri after his game winner on Sunday. Do the game winners ever get old, even at 24? No, they're yeah, always fun. The yeah, no, they're, every one of them's a little different in their own way. Um, you know, it's not against 22-yard game winners either, but I'll <laughs> take them anyway I can get them. You know, we, we talked about all the incredible numbers that this guy's put up. 27 game-winning kicks in his NFL career. Just that number alone. 10 of them coming in overtime, that's the most in NFL history. There aren't many guys that you can legitimately say they're a Hall of Famer. When they retire five years later, they're going in the Hall of Fame. That's true of Peyton Manning. We know that. That'll be the next big moment with him. That's equally true of Adam Vinatieri. He's a Hall of Famer, and you're watching greatness every week with this guy. It's, it's really a, a fun thing to be able to cover and to be a part of. Yeah, there's no argument as far as I'm concerned. He First ballot in, done. Up next, we have Jabal Sheard on whether the defense has developed an identity yet this year. Uh, I think we're getting better. You know what I mean? Uh, just that's, that's how football works. I mean, we got to get better every week and continue to improve. Uh, so I think we're, we're doing a good job of getting better and hopefully, you know, we find that peak and get a roll and keep it going. As a unit, what do you want that identity to be? I mean, obviously, defense, you want to be tough. You know I mean, just just dogs. And I think we got a lot of dogs on our, on our, on our defense. Uh, just just guys that's, that's going to go out there and, and put a helmet on a helmet and lay out and make plays. And I think that's that's what we got, and that's what we got to roll with. She's been a little bit quiet in some ways. When you look at the numbers, two and a half sacks, and you say that's not a whole lot. He's affected opposing quarterbacks in so many ways. And he's opened up things for his teammates. I know against Cleveland – Three of the sacks were caused by Jabal Sheard. He was forcing Deshaun Kaiser into a certain direction and made those sacks happen. 
he and John Simon have been really good additions to this team. So has that front line. I mean, the, the defensive line, according to Pro Football Focus, had its best game of the season and one of the better games in a number of years for the Colts. Henry Anderson, Al Woods, Jonathan Hankins really getting the job done up front. They shut down that San Francisco running game for the most part. This defense still has a lot of problems. We talked about some of them in the opener. Jabal Sheard and that front seven, not really a big part of that problem. Yeah, the pass rush could get better. Sure, they could use a more dominant sack guy, but lots of good things happening with that that front seven up front. And finally, here's Marlon Mack on finding the right path downfield on the fly. The one in overtime was really just me using my vision and going outside and bouncing it. Uh, the other two was designed for me to go outside, and someone was designed for me to go inside. But only the one in overtime was really just I did it on my own, just took a chance and went out there and used my speed. Not sure anybody had a more productive day than Marlon Mack, the rookie, of course, returning from the shoulder injury, 91 yards on just nine carries. Uh, I think, as you'll see when we get in the mailbag segment here a little bit, set the the fan base on fire a little bit. People are so excited about this kid, and it's really going to be fun to watch how he grows. I think a lot of people, I think I speak for a whole lot of people when I say really interested to see how he looks out on the field with Andrew Luck here in a few weeks. All right, it's time for me to reach into the mailbag and quiz George with your Colts question. Pony Express is up next. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL, it's the Pony Express. Welcome to the mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning Colts questions. Let's get to our first question at Cam underscore seven asks, how does Chudzinski plan to use Mac and Gore moving forward? And I'll couple that with a question from at RV Holler one. Do you think Marlon Mack has an expanded role going forward? Yeah. And like I said, the fan base really excited about this kid. And how could you not be? 35-yarder in overtime sets up the game winner. A 22-yarder for the first touchdown of the game. He nearly had a second touchdown. Balls down at the one on a 16-yard run. Uh, They brought him here because he had a unique big play potential that really was lacking on the rest of the running back side of the roster. And he's come out in just his third game in the NFL and shown it in spades. Uh, his ability to get out into space and make big runs is something that this team can't get from anybody else. Now, there are some issues. You know, the reason he's not starting already and, and, and the reason he hasn't seen more playing time before this, the shoulder was an issue. There's no doubt about that. He missed two regular season weeks because of it, but he also missed some time in the preseason, and that's valuable time in, in learning the intricacies of this scheme. He himself has admitted there's still some work to do in pass protection. He had five basic schemes in the game plan for pass protection at South Florida. He said, he won't give us the number, but he said there's significantly more than that here in Indianapolis. And it's it's not something that he's necessarily having trouble picking up. It's just something that it takes time. And that's definitely going to play a role in this. You're not going to see him be a full-time running back until he can do those things consistently. That being said, Chuck Pagano said on Monday, look, the wise thing to do here is to find ways to get the football into this guy's hands more often, and I think they're going to try to do that. Uh, they've been trying to keep Frank Gore sh- fresh all year long. He, he takes one day off of practice during the week. Uh, they've been trying to limit his carries anyway. You know Robert Turbin is that short yardage guy, and he's been amazing, 7-for-7, seven seven, by the way, on third and short this year, uh, getting the first downs. It's almost automatic when he comes in the game that he's going to do that. 
The question is, how can you work Mac into the role a little more? You know, nine carries and 91 yards. Obviously, anybody wants to see a little more carries there and see what what he can do with it. I think you also got to get him involved in the pass game a little bit. He can make big plays on screens and some of those shorter passes. If you can get him out in the open, get the ball to him in open space. And I think that's what Rob Jadzinski is going to be working on over the next couple of weeks, just scheming ways to get him the football in space and, and let him use that speed. They probably could take a look at the Kansas City Chiefs and the way that they've used a lot of their playmakers and, and the outstanding speed they have over there. And it's certainly you know there's a guy in the front office who's very familiar with how those things came to be. And uh, I, I think that's what they need to do. Look look at that blueprint, find ways to get Marlon back to football more often, and I think that's what they're going to do. Okay, I'm going to combine a couple of questions here because everybody wanting to know these things. Uh, at Cam underscore seven, at Fourth James, at Opnignal. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. O p p u g n a l l. All looking for updates on Clayton Gathers, Eric Swope, and whether Denzel Good can come back. Some people seem to be confused by that. Yeah, there's some interesting situations there. Now, part of this is you got to understand they're not all on the same list. the The two players that can return all come from injured reserve. Now. Swope and Good are on injured reserve, so they could be the two guys who come back from IR. Clayton Gathers is on PUP. That's a different list, and it it's a different situation. Gathers and Swope would be the first two up, and they can be eligible to come back to practice after Monday's game against Tennessee. I don't think you'll see either one of them immediately come back and play in Week 7. That's usually not the way these things work. It's absolutely not the way this will work with gathers. Uh, Pagano talked a little bit about that on Monday, about Clayton in particular. He's going to come back in very much the way that we saw Vontae Davis come back, very much the way that we saw Ryan Kelly come back, very much the way we're seeing Andrew Luck come back right now. He's going to have at least a week of non-contact practice, wearing the red jersey, and then at least a week of full practice. So I don't think you will see him before week nine at the earliest. They've got to believe a three-week period there where they can make a decision. Uh, if they don't like the way he's progressing in practice, you can shut him down for the year, put him back on into reserve, and he'd be done. Otherwise, you activate him, and, and he's ready to go. Uh, Pagano does seem very enthusiastic, very much of the belief that gathers will be ready and he will play at some point this season but i think you got to have to wait it's going to be a two or three three week process before that comes to pass swope may not take quite as long uh, but it's a similar situation he was in the locker room a couple weeks ago he's very excited about getting back into shape but you got to get him up and running i think he's going to be more on that ryan kelly vontae davis time schedule where maybe he gets a week to get back involved in in practice, get himself back into football shape, and then the following week he'll be able to play. So you may see him as early as week eight, which would be the game in Cincinnati, and that would be a big boost because Swope is a guy who brings a lot of athletic ability and a lot of pass-catching ability to that tight end position, can open up some things for Jack Doyle, can open up some things for the other receivers, can open up some things for the running game. Uh, I think it'll be fun to see Eric Swope back out there. Denzel Good, there's no guarantee that he's coming back. It would be later in the week with him. Uh, I believe it's six weeks from when you go on IR, so I don't think he's even eligible to come back and practice until after the Week 7 game against Jacksonville. Uh, but there was talk at the time they went down, I think it's a ligament issue with him in the wrist. 
I there was talk that he would be able to come back. So I think with him, it's it's going to be very similar to Kelly and Davis as well. Probably a week to get back into shape, and then maybe a week to practice. But I don't think that process even starts for him until maybe week eight. So you might be looking at week ten, week eleven before Good comes back. But my guess right now, and we've seen certainly this year, all of this is fluid. It can all change a lot on the fly. My guess right now is you will see all three of them play this year. Swope will probably be the first one back, then gathers, then good. At TDD903 would like to know, if the Colts were offered a reasonable trade, which position would slash should Ballard jump at, inside linebacker or another spot? That's a really good question. Obviously, inside linebacker, we talked a little bit about that earlier in the show. That's a big need area, and I think if they could find a guy that they thought could come in, help those coverage issues, they would definitely jump at that, again, at the reasonable price. I think maybe the position that, that's not as talked about as much but is is seeming to be a growing need, and some of that has to do with the slow start of the offense, You know, the fact that you do have a new quarterback back there in Jacoby Brissett. He's still figuring things out, but... I think there's been some disappointing performances from the wide receiver spot. T.Y. Hilton is third in the league with 466 receiving yards, which is pretty incredible when you consider that he's working with a 23-year-old quarterback who will be making his seventh career start, I believe, eighth career start on Monday night. Uh, that he's able to be that productive is another sign of how good T.Y. Hilton's become. But beyond that, almost no production from those wide receivers. Dante Moncrief has been... He's had his moments, but he's been disappointing for the most part. Kamar Aiken hasn't really been a big factor in the passing game. I think if they could add a wide receiver to the mix, it's one of the reasons why, and we really haven't talked on this anywhere else in the show, but Krishan Hogan went down. He's out for the year, tore his ACL in that game on Sunday, which is terrible to see happen. But there's a guy with a lot of size and a lot of athletic ability, and it was interesting to see if he was going to be slowly worked into the fold as this year went on, especially when Andrew Luck got back. Now that's off the table. I think whether it's a trade now or whether it's free agency uh, in March or the draft next April, I think wide receiver has become a position where they're going to look to add somebody. Our best thoughts to Krishan Hogan and also out to Houston's J.J. Watt, who's also suffered a season-ending injury. It was pretty horrific. Don't look up tibial plateau fracture um, <laughs> on the Internet. It is not pretty. Um, so our best thoughts to them. That's it for our Mailbag Pony Express this week. George, why don't you tell the listeners how they can get their questions to you? Yeah, absolutely. You can always hit me up on Twitter at GM Brimmer, or you can find my professional Facebook page, George M. Brimmer. Those are the best places to send your questions. We're always looking for, uh, for good questions, and you guys seem to come through every week. When we come back, we'll award this week's Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, ranking this week's Colts News. It's time for horseshoes and hand grenades where George picks a few things that'll work in the Colts' favor, but also picks a few things that will work against them in the game against the Titans. His first horseshoes this week goes to the running game finally coming to life. Yeah, we talked about Mac a lot, uh, but really it was a strong day overall for Frank Gore. Robert Turbin had a good day in his short yardage role. And I think there's no coincidence that this came along in the first game that Ryan Kelly was back at center. He really is a road grader out there. He opens up some holes. Uh, I think you're going to continue to see that kind of rise as they go, especially as they work Mac more into it and get defenses off guard. I think Gore and Mac can be a really nice inside-outside combination. Get some defenses guessing. 
use Ryan Kelly's ability to block. Uh, I think the running game, hopefully, this was just the start for them, and you're going to see that continue as, as the year rolls on. Our first hand grenade this week goes to the play of the inside linebackers. You don't want to hit it. You don't want to beat a dead horse too much here, but that's a serious issue that that's been going on for a couple of years now, and they're just not finding a way to solve it. Uh, obviously, Antonio Morrison, John Bostic are the starters. Uh, Anthony Walker went out again. He'd been out the pre- previous two weeks with a hamstring injury. He went out during the game with a hamstring injury. I'm of the opinion, and maybe I'm alone here. Uh, don't be afraid to tell me on Twitter if you agree or disagree, but I'm of the opinion that Jeremiah George needs a little more playing time in there. I think he might be the best coverage linebacker they've got in that group, and he reminds me a little bit of Jarrell Freeman in his early stages here. I'd like to see more of Jeremiah George. He makes plays when he's given the opportunity. Maybe he could help kind of fix some of these issues out there. The next horseshoe goes to the return of the big play. Yeah, we talked about that throw that uh, Jacoby Brissett made, and I don't know, I never get to watch the TV broadcast, obviously, but I saw some clips uh, later this week from that game, and you could see Andrew Luck on the sideline mouthing, what a throw, after that play, because it was such a huge play. T.Y. had a couple other, I think he had three uh, catches, 20 yards or more. We talked about Mac, three runs of 15 yards or more. That's when this offense is at its best. That's what they're doing. That's what they're built to do. Get those big plays. You mix in the ground plays with with uh, Mac and with Andrew Luck coming back soon, with Eric Swope coming back soon. You know, this offense could be finding a way to round into shape a little bit. They were 31st in the league coming into this week. There's a hundred reasons why that's the case, but I think you saw a little bit of an opening. A little bit of, of reason for optimism. The big plays are the biggest part of this, and there are some guys coming back who can make even more of them. That's probably the most exciting thing surrounding the Colts right now. The next hand grenade is pass protection continuing to struggle. 43 dropbacks. Jacoby Brissett is pressured on 12 of them. There's, it's completely unacceptable. There's There's no denying that. No one's going to try to, to say otherwise. It's been a problem all year. It was a problem pretty much since 2012 when Andrew Luck got here. Uh, Brissett's holding the ball a long time. He, his average time to throw on Sunday was actually over three seconds. I think that's the first time that's happened this year. So that's part of it too, and that's no doubt part of his process. He's still thinking a lot more than he's reacting out there because he's only been here for six weeks and trying to get things together. It's, it's not easy. Uh, but the offensive line just simply has to do a better job. It's a broken record. We all know it. It's not some kind of new new ground that, w- that we're breaking here, but Tennessee's a team that can put pressure on the quarterback, guys like Brian Arakbo up front, and they can ch- they can change games with that part of, of their defense. It's something that Dick LeBeau's been doing for, it feels like, a century in the NFL. Uh, you know, he will get after you, in the most creative ways of anybody in this league. He may be in his 70s, but his mind is is as sharp as any defensive coach in the NFL, and the offensive line has got to be ready for that because Brissett will again be under siege. They can't let this continue to happen. It's just it's not good football, plain and simple. There's no way to, to move forward as a football team uh, with your offensive line allowing this kind of pressure every week. And our last key for the Colts here that we'll give out, it will be a horse grenade, which is a combination of a good and a bad, or basically a we don't know. Uh, And that's for Mariota status. Yeah, we literally don't know. Word out of Tennessee is 
that this is going to be a game time game time decision on Monday. I think he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He didn't play last week uh, in the loss against the Dolphins, and it it sounds like it's going to go right up to that 8:30 kickoff in Nashville on Monday night to determine whether or not he plays. Obviously, his mobility, uh, the things that he's able to do in in the backfield, somewhat similar to Russell Wilson. Uh, you've seen the Colts struggle with that. They they had major trouble with with Wilson up in Seattle. They also had trouble with Deshaun Kaiser moving around in the fourth quarter against the Browns. I think if Mariota plays, he he's a guy that can bring a lot of that trouble to them on on Monday night. Otherwise, it'll be Matt Castle, and I think it's a whole different ball game if Matt Castle's under center for the Titans. He's much more likely to turn the ball over. He's much less likely to extend plays. This is one of the biggest factors in that game on Monday night. We'll see uh, which way it goes. I guess we'll all be waiting with bated breath right up to kickoff and see whether number eight takes the field for Tennessee or not. Well, I know I'm looking forward to our trip to Nashville. It's one of my favorite places to visit. Uh, George will be up in the press box, and I'll be down on the field uh, taking photos. Uh, So if you see a photographer get ran over, it's probably me because I tend to be a magnet for the ball and for large players scoring touchdowns and celebrations. Uh, you almost got run over last year by Taylor Lewan after yeah, he scored the touchdown. After he scored his, his touchdown and the rest of the offensive line came to celebrate with him, um, their celebration was in the space I was occupying. Um, they didn't seem to notice little me standing there with my camera. Um, so hopefully they'll stay away from me this year, <laughs> please. Um <laughs> So when we get back from the trip, uh, we'll be back next week to recap the game and also look ahead to the home game against the Jaguars. George, before we go, will the Colts be able to continue their win streak? I think we're up to 11 games uh, against the Titans. Yeah, 11 straight wins and 16 of the last 17. It's been six years since Tennessee won a game, 2011. The quarterback for the Titans at that time, Matt Hasselbeck. So he's actually the last Tennessee QB to to get the W against the Colts if Mariota plays on Monday night I think that streak comes to an end I think Tennessee is going to be really hungry what's interesting about this game is this is the AFC South opener and as bad as things have gone as roller coasters this season has been the Colts haven't lost any tiebreakers yet all three losses are to NFC teams they don't factor into any kind of tiebreaker scenario this game is the first one all season that carries massive meaning for this football team and I think Tennessee's aware of that too Tennessee's one and one right now in the division they can't afford a loss to the Colts you look at the AFC South we talked about it last week it's in a very similar space to where it's been most years Jacksonville right now out in front at three and two but they've been up and down as well I mean they look really good this weekend again against Pittsburgh but let's not forget they were coming off a loss to the Jets so Jaguars gonna Jaguar yeah very Jekyll and Hyde performances from them. The Texans just lost arguably their two best players in J.J. Watt and and Whitney Merciless. Everybody behind Jacksonville right now tied at 2-3. and It's a huge week in the league. Houston's got Cleveland, so we can pretty much mark down a win for them. So whoever wins this game between the Colts and the Titans, probably going to be tied for second at the end of of the week. Probably a game behind the Jets, although you never want – or the – the Jaguars you never want to just hand Jacksonville these kind of things because we've seen the way it goes as I said Jaguars gonna Jaguar huge huge football game and I just I think when you look at the roster depth from top to bottom the fact that Andrew Luck's not going to be out there 
I think Tennessee just has the better team. They have the home field advantage. I think the Titans come away with the win. And the Colts will probably have to be careful to make sure it doesn't get out of hand again, as it has in two of the three losses so far this year. Yeah, prime time has not been their strength in recent seasons. Uh, so we'll see uh, whether they come back with a win or we're looking at a season that is not going to be a lot of fun for the rest of the year. That's it for another week of Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Look for the next week's episode online at your local CNHI Sports Indiana website or on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. If you subscribe on iTunes, please give us a star rating so we know how we're doing. As always, you can get the latest Colts news, in-game updates, and analysis by following George on Twitter at GM Bremer. Until next time, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire. Be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.